All right, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you, and good morning. And um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Patrick, and I'm one of the overseers here. And I lead, uh, more specifically, I lead like the education department. And so, like the nursery, and then we also have a youth uh, Bible study that's going on during this time normally. And so, you, normally I'm in there, but I am, uh, I get the privilege of preaching for you guys this week, and I'm very excited. Something has been brewing in my heart. And, um, I'm excited for us to like jump into God's word, okay? And so I'm going to start by reading Psalm 119, verse 129 through 136. Psalm 119, verse 129 through 136 says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Now, Psalm 119 is 176 verses long, and it's a love poem. It's not a love poem about marriage. It's not even a love poem about God or God's love. It's a love poem about God's word. And if you've ever tried to just read through Psalm 119 from beginning to end, it's long, it's repetitive, and it's extremely passionate. And the question I have for us today to open us up. The Bible tells us how we should think about the Bible. But the Bible also tells us how we should feel about the Bible. And how many of us feel this way about God's word? Not what you think about it, not how high of a view you have, not your theology, but your experience, how you feel about it. If you're new to church or if you're not a Christian, some of you here, maybe the Bible is nothing special. You're skeptical. It's antiquated. It's old. It's incorrect. It's, it's corrupted because it's man's word. Whatever. There might be different reasons where you say, you know, like, no, I don't believe that. Others here might say, you know, I do believe that. But if we examine our lives, you know, on paper, we have a high theology of God's word. I think we can say that as a church. We have a high view of God's word, but in practice, it's boring and irrelevant, and maybe your Bible is collecting dust. Reading it is like reading any textbook at school where maybe you read through 60 to 90 pages of it, and you're like, what did I just read? It didn't feel like it was worth it. Others, and maybe those of you who can relate to the psalmist, say, yes, I love God's word. I long for it. So much that when others don't keep it, when others don't cherish it, it bothers me. Where are you at in this picture? Psalm 119 tells us again what to think about the Bible, but it also tells us what to feel and what to do in response to the Bible. And some of us may say, you know, I'll never, maybe we're not at Psalm 119. I'm just not into it. Don't panic if you don't feel that way. Don't feel guilty if you don't feel that way. This is where we want to end. I'm starting with the conclusion. Because if I'm honest, I'm not there. I'm not there. And I have a simple but humanly impossible goal for this sermon today. I am aiming very high. I have a very high expectation. My goal is that through this sermon, you will never read the Bible in the same way again. My goal is through this sermon is to ignite your devotional life and that you would savor God in your private lives that you would never hear a sermon. It's also going to be a sermon on how to hear a sermon. You'll never hear a sermon in the same way again. 
This sermon is a call to read the Bible supernaturally, that there will be something different in the way we read it as opposed to an unbeliever. And so I'm not here to do a hermeneutic sermon. This is not principles of interpretation. That's very important, but that's not what this sermon is about. I want to talk about before you open your Bible, while your Bible is open, after you close your Bible, and I want to invite you to experience God's word as it was intended to be a miraculous experience every single time. That's the goal. And so we're talking about reading the Bible supernaturally. I got this title from a book by John Piper that I read years ago, and it's something that brewed in my mind, this idea. I always wanted to give a sermon, very thorough sermon on it. We're going to talk about hearing God's word, okay? And you can apply this again publicly in our corporate worship, but I'm actually aiming more for that private time with God, okay? Hearing God's word supernaturally. Next week, okay, this will be a two-part series. We're going to talk about praying supernaturally, continuing the conversation where God speaks to us through his word, and then we speak back to God through prayer, okay? And so today is about praying supernaturally. I want to talk about how we could build a spirit-dependent, faith-building, worship-filled, miraculous reading of God's word. And so in order to do that, we need to pray, and you're going to see that this is a sermon about reading the Bible, but it's sort of actually a sermon about prayer, and next week's sermon is about prayer, but it's sort of actually more about reading the Bible, okay? You'll get it next week, okay? But if I have a supernatural goal, we need to pray, but we're going to do it a little bit differently today, okay? I'm going to put up these Bible verses from Psalm 119, and as I'm reading them, I hope you'll make them your prayer with me. Okay, so we're not actually going to close our eyes and pray. I'm just going to read these verses, and we'll talk about this more next week. But one habit I want us to get into is praying the scriptures, okay? And this is all from Psalm 119, okay? So as I'm reading, make it your prayer. Apply it to yourself. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. When I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Incline, turn my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Amen. And so the outline of this sermon is going to be number one. Okay, two points to this sermon. We're going to talk the supernatural reading of the word of God. Okay, the supernatural reading of the word of God. Secondly, we're going to talk about the natural reading of the word of God. Okay, the supernatural reading of the Word of God. Secondly, the natural reading of the Word of God. Okay, let's start with the supernatural. Okay, turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. This is a foundational verse when we're talking about God's Word, and I don't want to make any assumptions. We've got to start here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says, He's talking about those living in the end of days, which is now, and living in this corrupt world, in contrast to these false teachers, in contrast to these people that have fallen away. As for you, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I'm going to start, I'm going to talk about how to read the Bible, but let's talk about briefly the nature of the Bible. And this is the most foundational thing. The simplest and most foundational reason why we read the Bible is because it's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It's coming from the mouth of God. God is the author of this book. You want to hear what God has to say to you? Read your Bible. That's what we believe. And in one sense, if that's true, that you believe this is the word of God, that this is not just a book, there is something divine. It's a holy Bible. It's in a different class of its own, that this is God's word. 
In one sense, that's all I have to say. Everything else will follow from that. If you believe that this is from the mouth of God, that he breathed it out, it takes breath to bring out words. If you hold in, your, uh, if you uh, don't breathe, you can't speak, okay? In a real sense, God has given us his word, he's breathed it out, then we know this is true. We know it's enough. It's necessary. It's authoritative. And the Bible, according to this passage, has two purposes. Okay, let me simplify it because that's what this verse does. As someone reading the Bible or listening to a sermon and where the Bible is preached, you either need to learn what it means to be saved or how to live as a saved person. That's its two purposes. Have I been saved? That's what it says. The Bible will make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. As you respond to the Bible and the gospel, you respond by faith and you're born again. God initiated a conversation with you. And he wants to pursue you in a love relationship. And now you can know him. You don't know him, but you can know him. Am I a saved person? Or you're asking yourself, if you're already a believer, am I learning how to live as a saved person? And you need to be equipped for every good work. That's why the Bible says is living. It's not just a way to get information, but if you come to trust in the Bible, God is speaking to you so that you can meet him and be equipped for every good work. Simon Peter in um, John chapter 6, verse 68 through 69 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That this book brings you face to face with the Holy One of God. That there is nothing more beneficial to you than to believe this and have eternal life. Do you read stuff that's beneficial to you? Do you read like warning letters? I, uh, I, I have this property that I manage and then uh, sort of on behalf of my family and Everything turned out fine, just so you know, but a couple, like a year ago, I freaked out because I got this warning letter that basically said I might owe them $36,000, <laughs> right? My HOA, there was a violation. I was like, I read every single word of that because it was of great uh, importance to me, right? Ended up being fine. I went and I fought it and I won, by the way, okay? But you read stuff like a warning letter, like if there's a warning on an electrical panel, you make sure you read it before, you know, like... You know, I get scared of like my blow dryer. I'm always like, oh shoot, I read the warning label. Or you read an inheritance letter or you read a love letter. You read that which is beneficial to you. That's exactly what the Bible is. It's a love letter. It's an acceptance letter. It's an inheritance letter. It's a warning letter. What's more beneficial to you than a book that brings you into an experience with the Holy One of God? Why read the Bible? Because it's God breathed. That's it. Because God wrote it. And again, we may have a high theology on paper, but how, like, look at how we sort of treat the Bible. If you really believe this is God's inspired word, then you'll know it's worth it to read it. If you believe it, you'll commit to studying it and knowing it. If you don't believe it, you won't read it. Is it worth the time and energy to, car to carve out, not sort of just give it your free time, but to carve out time to understand and apply God's word? It depends on what you think about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as, it, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What changed them from living these unbelieving pagan lives, idolatrous lives, was they accepted Paul's word for what it really was, that it's the word of God. The biggest barrier to our Bible reading is actually what do we believe about the Bible? This is why I can't just jump over this part. Now, what if you don't really believe the Bible is God's word? Or if your faith is weak, then I'm telling you a miracle needs to happen. 
How does that miracle happen? You know, we could talk about all these different things. We can get into the scientific accuracy of the Bible. We can talk about fulfilled prophecies that this book has told the future many, many times. We could talk about its perfect unity, even though there's many authors over a period of uh, thousands of years. There's a unity. There's a oneness to it. We could pop, talk about the manuscript evidence and the thousands of different manuscripts that we have. We could talk about how if you believe Jesus existed, Jesus believed this. And we could talk about all these objective facts about the Bible, but... Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And out of my experience, I can hear all those facts, but my mind is not the problem. Based on what the Bible teaches, the most effective way of growing your confidence in the Bible is to actually spend time in the Bible. One author says, there's no better way to understand and come to embrace a biblical doctrine of scripture than to open the cage and let scripture speak. Let it out. Faith comes from hearing. As you hear the word of God, the spirit of God may do a miracle in your heart to open up your eyes to see scripture for what it really is. That takes a miracle. As we read, if the spirit is working and drawing you to him, you are going to be convinced that this is God's word. That's just my story. That's my testimony. It was as I was reading and I heard the Bible preached faithfully through Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, and then Luke 15, where I started to think, there's something different about this book. Our ultimate conviction that the words of the Bible are God's word comes when the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Bible. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You will hear and if you're a Christian, what has happened to you as a Christian is that you heard this book or you read this book and you experienced something like it, uh, something from it unlike any other book you've ever read, and something inside you knows that your creator is speaking to your heart. From a divine perspective, we believe the Bible is God's word because the Holy Spirit has borne witness to your heart. In contrast... The unbeliever thinks it's foolish or it's not true, and that's natural. That makes sense apart from the Spirit. The natural person apart from the Spirit doesn't understand, doesn't want to believe it. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because he, they are spiritually discerned. Like, you could study, we could study the Bible academically, like maybe some of you studied in your high school, but you can't encounter the God of the Bible or who wrote the Bible without his enabling. And so if, you, if you're interested, if you're interested, if there's something that has brought you to our church, and there's something in your hearts where you're like, you know, I want to know more about this, I want to hear about this, I want to I study this, God is drawing you to him, and you just need to sort of lean into that. Keep listening, hear, embrace that. God is already working. In other words, it takes a miracle. Isn't that what this verse is saying? It takes a miracle to read the Bible properly. It takes a miracle. It's a miracle if you read the Bible as it's intended to be read. Just like, you know, in the, in the New Testament, there's all these pictures where um, they're sort of like object lessons for us, where Jesus heals a deaf man. I always thought this was so interesting. He heals a deaf man through his words. He speaks to a deaf man, and then that deaf man's words, I mean, his ears are open. I, I always thought that's so profound. Or Jesus speaks, and he gives sight to a blind man. Or he speaks, and he restores a lame man through his words. That's a picture of our spiritual lives. God, we are blind. We are deaf. We can't hear. We can't see. We're spiritually compromised because of the fall. And so God does this miracle where he gives us spiritual sight through his words. 
Now, why am I getting into this? This is so important. The implications of this, the fact that the Bible is a miracle, if you want to read it in the right way, it's a miracle, the implications are huge. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, what this means for our Bible reading is that we can never, ever read it as it should be read without God's supernatural help. Why? There's a couple reasons why, and we just went over a spiritual warfare series, so I'm not going to go too deeply into this, but it, it goes with that series very well. We're sinful, we're, we live in a broken world, and there's Satan who can blind us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have a blinding enemy outside. We have a blinding disease inside. And when you put those together, we can't read the Bible apart from supernatural help. That's such a basic idea, but it will change everything. As believers, even as believers, do we fully see? No, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, even as believers, we only see in parts. One day we'll see in full. And there's a story I always like, another lesson from the New Testament where Jesus, he, he wipes the eyes with, like he spits in the mud and then he wipes the eyes of this blind man. And then this blind man's like, he starts to see blurry. Okay, he was blind, and then blurry, and then again, he, uh, Jesus washes it again, and then the guy has sight. That's a picture of us. We see, but things are still blurry. We're always going to see new things as we grow in our faith, as we're sanctified. But sanctification happens as a process. It happens in stages. And even as believers, we're still blind. There's so many things we don't see. We see in parts. And at the heart of Bible reading is faith. At the heart of ineffective Bible reading is unbelief. It's not intellectual. It's an issue of the heart. We need to increase our faith. God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Like the parable of the four soils describes uh, Satan as so on who... Man, we see it in this church where there's something going on. The, the word has been planted and then it seems like they're doing okay and then suddenly everything changes and there's a good chance that Satan has snatched that word. It says that's what he could do. He can hinder this. He takes it away. And what Satan wants to do is to keep us blind, make us ineffective. If the Bible says the best thing you could do is sit at Jesus' feet and just hear his word, what do you think Satan wants to stop? He will do everything he can to hinder that. And there's already enough in our hearts that distracts us, right? There's another soil described where the cares of the world, the worries of the world, we're divided in a million different directions where I read the Bible, it's like, oh, this is great. And it's like, oh, wait, I have that work meeting. Oh, I got to go take care of this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Oh, I really like this passage. Oh, what should I eat for lunch? Oh, it's already two o'clock. I'm running out of time. I got to go. Does that sound familiar? It's like we have this problem in us, our flesh, and then we have this problem outside of us. His name is Satan. And then we think we could still read the Bible apart from supernatural help, though. What is the biggest problem in our Bible reading? It's not your mind. It's not your intellect. It's not your skills. It's not your method. Methodology is very secondary to your heart and your believing that this is God's word. In our daily reading, or for the first time, we read, God has to open up our hearts to the Bible. I was looking at that verse right there on that banner. It says, Luke 24, 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we while he talked, Jesus talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? He has to open up the scriptures to us. And when that happens, your hearts will burn. In other words, it's humility that throws open the door to the Bible. How often do I read the Bible in a natural way and that's it? Thinking if I understand it, I have the capability, I have the skills, I have the training, I could do the exegesis, I could do all these different things, I know how to interpret it. And that's it. 
that's enough. I could do it on my own. How much do I rely on my methods or simply just my own efforts? How much faith do I have in myself that I could read the Bible the right way? Is your Bible reading, and I'll talk more about this later, is it a discipline or is it a spiritual discipline? Is there a spiritual element to it? Let me summarize. In order to read the Bible as we should, the act of reading must be done in dependence upon God's supernatural help. That's it. This takes a lot of humility. Who does God speak to? Isaiah 66 two. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Not the one who comes to God's word and says, I think I know a little bit better. I could disagree with him on this. I could correct him on this. The one who comes in fear and trembling, thinking this is written by the Holy One of God. There is no comparison. He knows more than me. And so the first thing, my goal, is that we will never read the Bible again without admitting that we need God's help that we are helpless to read it as we should. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Come to Bible reading, realizing on your own we're helpless. We, we don't apply this verse typically, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, but I think this is the heart of Bible reading. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And the simplest way to measure hum your humility is through your prayer. Do we pair prayer, do we see them as integral parts, prayer and the word of God, where reading with prayer is an absolute must. The more you pray, that's actually a better sign. That's a good barometer of our humility because only humble people pray and get on their knees and pray. Look at Jesus. He prayed all the time. But you know, like how many sermons have I heard? Hundreds and hundreds of sermons. How many Bible studies have I done? How many times have I read the Bible? And how many times did I miss the glory of God because I was reading it in a natural way? Because we fail to pray over the word that we are reading. First, we have to admit. Secondly, we have to pray. Third, we have to trust. We have to expect. What does that look like, though? When you start, this is how you know you're going to start reading the Bible supernaturally. You pray about everything. You pray. Let me give us some examples. Pray and ask God to give you the discipline to focus, to not fall asleep, to motivate you, to help you to see, to take away distractions, to take away blindness, that Satan would not have any foothold there, to, to um, help you to see the observations and the connections between different biblical tests, uh, texts, to remind you of the gospel, to make these truths fresh. We pray about everything. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. That applies to our Bible reading. And it's not like a, hey, I prayed right before I did my devotional. I prayed one time, and then now I'm done praying. And it's not even just like, a, oh, I'm going to sit here and pray over the text. I'm going to put my hands together and close my eyes. But there's this attitude. There's this spirit of dependence while we're reading the Word. And after we read the Word, and as we carry it through the day, as we meditate on it day and night, we're praying the Word. You know, when I was a pastor, like, I would, uh, it's amazing to me how Monday through Friday, I get nothing done, right? Like, I'll read the text, I'll read it over, I'll read it over, and I'm just, like, trying to soak it in, I'm trying to read it, and I just, it doesn't hit me, and I get desperate, because I'm like, Sunday is coming, right? And then I go, and I'm like, God, I finally, on Saturday, like, morning, I'm like, God, I need your help, and then, boom, something just gets unlocked, And it, uh, it unlocks that treasure that's been there, but I just couldn't see it. I get more done on a Saturday than I do in four days of sermon prayer, Monday through, Saturday, uh, Monday through Thursday, right? What would happen if every turn of the page, with every word we read, we relied on God's help? 
If you read like this, by the grace of God, and going back to the parable of the four souls, you will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times. Because you're reading the Bible supernaturally, because your heart is good soil. When we pray or read supernaturally, we can start expecting some supernatural results. What are those results? If you're praying with desperation, if you're reading with desperation, as if your life depended on it, and that's how the Bible describes the Bible. You need this because your life depends on it. What will the results be? You will see glory. It won't be a snack. It will be a feast. You won't see tips for good daily living. You won't simply see, here's how you can live the good life. It won't just be like, oh, here's my quick emotional pick-me-up. I just need... You'll see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's the goal that the Bible says is the goal of Bible reading. That's the goal of Bible reading. Where am I getting that? 2 Corinthians, going back to that verse, in chapter 4, verse 4. What is Satan trying to blind us to? From seeing moral tips to reading through Proverbs and like, let me just get my good pick-me-up for the day? What is he trying to blind us to? He's trying to blind us from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what he doesn't want us to see. But when we became a Christian, what did God say? He says, let me shine the light. The light on what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we read, look for glory. Now, is there anything wrong with like, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't do these things? Of course not. That's not wrong. But expand our hearts. If you want to be transformed, look for glory. Look for God's weightiness. Look for God's worth. Look for his value. Because when you do that, when you read for glory, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, As we, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What is the Spirit trying to do? Why is the Spirit like the hidden member of the Trinity? Okay, why do we not pay much attention to the Spirit? Because in one sense, the Spirit doesn't want us to pay much attention to Him. Who does the Spirit want us to pay attention to? He's trying to point to Christ. That's what He's doing. He's like, look at Christ. See Christ. I'm opening up your eyes to see Christ. You know that there is something happening that is supernatural. When you read your Bible, you start to see the glory of God and your hearts burn within you. I, I'll read, I'll read through the Bible. I always read through Proverbs and the New Testament or those, you know, some Old Testament and New Testament. And I'm looking for, like, there's times where I'll just, I'll be so satisfied with like, yeah, I got my tip for the day. Like, oh, I should do this, I should do that. But that's too low of a bar. An unbeliever could read that and say, yeah, you know, I should go and live a good life. We don't aim for advice from the Bible. We aim for transformation. We're not here to give you advice on living a moral life. Okay, that's actually the worst thing we could do because morality without Christ is the worst place you could be. What we want to do and it's a, it's a humanly impossible task, is that the Spirit of God would unveil, would, would uncover, that we would see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That we would see He is infinitely beautiful, worthy, precious, and valuable. And then when you see that, here's how you know, when you see that, it will lead to worship. And you will taste and see, Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's interesting, whenever it describes like uh, when you see the works of God, the wondrous works of God, it describes one of the results in the Psalms is that you will sing a new song. You will sing a new song. And I'll get more into this next week, but that's why it's like it has to be prayer and then scripture reading saturated in prayer and then prayer and meditation and then worship. That's to me like the full process. And if I want to go further, and then you meditate on that throughout the day, day and night, as you see glory, as you come to realization, as you behold, 
you will be transformed into the image of Christ. An inside-out transformation, not like the Pharisees. It's always interesting to me. It's like Jesus always like rips into the Pharisees who knew their Bibles the best. And he's like, have you not read? Right? Of course they read. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than us. But in John chapter 5, verse 37, it says, John chapter 5, verse 37, and the Father who sent me has borne witness about me, his voice. He's talking to Pharisees. You never heard his voice. You've never experienced it. You've never read it supernaturally. All you've gone is your intellectual arguments or your religious rules. You've gotten all that, but you haven't seen the God that is behind it. And that's exactly what Satan wanted for these Pharisees. But I find myself falling into that so often. Where it's like, I'll read, but have you not really read? Have I heard his voice? Let me close the first point, okay? And the second point will be shorter, just so you know, okay? Why do we read the Bible? Because it's God's word. It's supernatural. How do we read the Bible? Read it supernaturally. That means you come to it desperately and prayerfully. A prayerless reading of God's supernatural word, I think, is one of the major reasons, if we're being honest, there's this low-level dissatisfaction with our Bible reading. It just sort of hums in the background. What is the goal of supernatural reading? It's to see God's glory and beauty. And when the Spirit does that, He's speaking to you, and the result will be a new song. And you will be transformed into the likeness of God. This will happen from one degree to another, a little at a time, but this is what happens when you read the Bible supernaturally. Now, second point the natural reading of the Word of God. And why am I adding this, okay? Why am I adding this point? I could, I was like, oh, you know, I honestly, I was sort of debating this point, but now I want it. Okay, I think it'll be helpful for you guys, okay? And I, it's only, how long have I been going? Like, it's, I, I have time, okay? I have like 45 minutes, okay? No, <laughs> I won't do that, okay? It'll be shorter, a little bit, okay? Couple of reasons. Supernatural reading doesn't mean there's no hard work. There's no struggle. There's no study of God's word. Praying that God would open my eyes to wondrous things in his law doesn't mean I could skip the natural process of careful reading, rigorous reading. Prayer and desperation don't take the place of study and careful interpretation. Prayer serves that cause. Let me just give a general uh, general truth about the Christian life. In the Christian life, it's always about dependence and it's always about discipline. Those are the two wings of the airplane. If you have one without the other, you're going to fall. Like in sermon prep, I can't just be like, you know, Rand, you know, I'm, I'm really worried about this sermon. I haven't really prepped too much, but I'm just going to pray for 10 hours and then I'm just going to go up there. Right? I could do that and it may be spirit-filled, but what the Spirit wants me to do is illuminate this. There is no excuse for me if I'm praying without studying. My sermon prep does not end. I always have this pray myself hot. Pray yourself hot. Every time I read the Bible, pray yourself hot, okay? Because I, you know, like our hearts are cold and we expect to come to the Bible like a microwave and it just warms up our heart. But we got to pray ourselves hot. But that doesn't mean I just stop there. I need to pray, I need to work, I need to study, I need to interpret, I need to struggle with it. I don't want us to get the impression that, okay, I'm done with step one, here you go, easy, no problem. No, it's hard work what I'm talking about. And I also don't want it to fall into this extreme where we could fall into like this mysticism where our experience of the Bible actually has nothing to do with the text. That's how cults start. Some dude, okay, takes this isolated, like, let me take this verse, and I prayed about it, and praying about it is enough, and this is what it means to me, and this is the truth that I got from it, and that settles it as if praying about it makes the truth real, okay, when rather God opens up the text to show you what's really there. It's never disconnected from the words, 
Like saying I prayed about it as I was reading the Bible, you know, I felt this peace in me that, you know, I should go and marry this unbeliever, right? Or I should go and I, you know, like I have this code that I could do and then this is the way cold starts, right? And we can very easily separate the experience of the text from the actual text. But 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly, carefully, accurately handling the word of truth, dividing it correctly, using it well, being careful with this. Because how many people take the Bible? How many atrocities and hideous things have happened because people take the Bible, I prayed about it, and this is what it means, therefore, it's true. In other words, supernatural reading of this book is not less than natural reading, but it includes it, and it is so much more, and it needs to be accompanied by certain attitudes and habits and skills. For example, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Okay? Here's the, the dependent discipline part. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We think, and God gives. We need to think, and God gives. It's both and. It's not either or. Some people may swerve this way. Some people may swerve that way. Some people may stress the first part, think about what I say, and they emphasize reason and exegesis and careful interpretation and rigorous study, but they minimize the supernatural role. Other people, again, like I just said, they may emphasize, overemphasize the supernatural, and they think simply, I'm just going to open my, up my Bible, I'm going to wait upon the Lord, and God will illuminate the text and to mean whatever I want it to mean. No, it's both and. Like I was reading this book, and it says, 10 minutes on your knees will give you a truer, truer knowledge of God than 10 hours over your Bible. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? What? No, it's 10 hours of study over the Bible, while we're on our knees. You pray, you study, you pray and observe, you pray and dig, you pray and focus, you pray and think, you pray and dissect. This means we're called to use our natural capacities, your ability to think, your ability to make observations, your ability to use uh, all the tools that God has given you to ask questions, to make connections, to observe, to learn, to, e to have effort to analyze the text, use your brains. All of that is part of supernatural reading. We're called to depend on supernatural help in the natural act of reading. That's probably from John Piper. I, I don't think I could have come up with that, okay? We're called to depend on supernatural help in the natural act of reading. Like, this is, again, a truth uh, from the Bible, and it's talking about you know, just generally, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. If I were to just sort of paraphrase this and apply this Bible reading, I could say, I worked harder than any of those other Bible readers with all of my natural powers and abilities in my reading and analysis and thinking. Nevertheless, it is not I, but the grace of God that was with me, enabling me to read supernaturally. Let me just give two pieces of, uh, I hope, uh, I just said it's not about advice, okay? Let me give two pieces of advice, okay, on reading it in this natural way, okay? We need to read it actively. Read it actively. It's not passive. There has to be, and this is from Piper, I remember this, there has to be this aggressive attentiveness when we're reading. Because if I'm like right now, we're in a two-way, this is a two-way process, okay? I'm trying to throw you God's word, and if you're just sitting there, and you're not ready to receive it, and you're just passive, and it's as if you're watching TV, you just sort of expect it to just sort of influence you, then you're not going to catch it, and it's just going to hit you in the head. It'll be useless. Like when I go on airplanes, you know, some people, like, they don't like airplanes. I love long airplane flights. Right? Why? Because the stewardess says it at the beginning. Sit back. Relax. Enjoy your flight. And I'm awesome. I have this excuse to just veg out for the next 10 hours to watch movies. And I can't do anything else. So I'm just going to enjoy. I love that. 
And it's like, you know, when we read the Bible, it's like we expect, like, I'm laying there and it's fanning me and these grapes are going to, like, drop into my mouth. God's just going to drop this grape into my mouth when the Bible actually describes it as treasure hunting. You seek it. Where you tell yourself, you issue a command to your brain, look, listen, think, notice, see the clues, see the connections. If the Bible describes wisdom as greater than gold and you knew there was treasure in your house, you are going to look and look and look. You will be active. You will not give up. You will not just, you're, I'm tired, but I'm going to keep looking for this treasure. That's exactly what Bible reading has to be. Read attentively, not sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Read attentively, aggressively, actively, and then you see layers and dimensions and rea- of this reality that you never saw before. The same truth I could say for a sermon. Listen attentively, aggressively, actively. It's not watching TV. You have to catch it. Proverbs 2.3 says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure. Active reading, aggressive meaning, you ask questions, you make observations, you see the flow of thought, you see how this passage relates to this passage, how this paragraph leads into this paragraph. You focus on key words, you know the author's intent, his background. You're doing all of these things because I'm not just trying to love God with my emotions, I'm trying to love God with my mind. Isn't that the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Everything, your body, you want all of that to be engaged with God. Do we approach the Bible with an alert and engaged mind where we're ready to read rigorously, carefully, and study it seriously? Like you, you'll take classes, you'll go to the extra appendixes that Rand does. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, like, you don't know, you don't have to do that. But it's just like, you know, like people want to hear that, right? <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Okay. <laughs> we were debating about, like, should you do this? I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> and then he's like, no. And I appreciate that. Okay. All while knowing that God is sovereign over every single part of your reading, including your interpretations, your observations, your questions. Read actively. And secondly, and this is a, I wanted to end with this one because I, don't want us to think this is a quick and easy process. Read patiently. When I think about prayer and I think about Bible reading, there's a story in the Old Testament um, where there's this guy uh, named uh, Jacob. <laughs> okay, I think it's Jacob, where he meets someone at night. He's going to go and meet his brother Esau, but the night before, he's sort of stressed out, and he meets someone who actually is God in human flesh, and what he does is he wrestles with God all night. All night. And then he says at the end, God, uh, he says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. I will not let go of you until you bless me. And then God touches a joint and it gets out of step and then he blesses him, right? That's what I think prayer and Bible reading is, okay? Bible reading is I will read and I will read and I will pray and I may not see it, but I will read chapter after chapter. It may take 20 chapters, but I will not let go of this until God, you bless me. It's wrestling with God. And especially in an age of instant gratification where we want quick results in our Bible reading, it won't work. Many of us rushed through the Bible asking God to meet us in that moment, but it doesn't always work that way. By His grace, He may meet you in the first minute, but again, it doesn't just microwave our heart. It doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes the Bible will come to you right away. Other times... You read 20 chapters, and then it's like, there, I see the glory. Sometimes you have to just take a truth. Maybe you read through it. Maybe you fast, and it's like, I'm just going to take this one truth, and I'm going to meditate on it day and night, day and night. Psalm 197, uh, 97, I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. 
And we just got to take that truth and take it with us for the rest of the day. We got to think about it. It's so hard. It's such hard work. Like when, um, I had to check this, but like, you know, certain animals, they have like multiple, I don't know what you call it. They have multiple stomachs or multiple like compartments in their stomach where they, uh, like a sheep, they will, they will chew it. They'll chew the grass they'll chew it and then they'll digest it and then they'll throw it up, right? And then they'll chew it again and then it'll go deeper the next time and then they'll throw it up, regurgitate it. And they do that about four times and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. All of you are grossed out right now, all right? As you see, the girls are grossed out, right? That's actually a good picture, I think, of meditation. (laughs) Okay, there's another example (laughs) where it says, Mary savored up these truths about Jesus that were being spoken about Jesus. Meditation, where you just patiently just dwell on it, you savor it, you treasure it, you, you soak in it, and you just think about it over and over and over again. That, I think, along with prayer, is the missing steps in our Bible reading. But it gets deeper and deeper and deeper when we do that. We hate to wait, even for the treasure of the Bible. But I think we need to develop this discipline and this patience to look longer and more carefully than we ever have before. Let me land this plane, okay? I think uh, when I talk to people, I'll ask them, you know, in our DG, uh, we always take some time to like, share how we're doing in our Bible reading. But you know, over the years, what I've noticed is that you know, in our circle, in my type of circle, we emphasize discipline a lot. Spiritual disciplines. Do your spiritual disciplines. And so I'll ask people, like, how's your Bible reading go? And like, oh, I read this day. Oh, I, I read, I've been reading for the past four out of five days. And they're disciplined. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the goal. The next question I may ask is, how intimate are those times of reading? You want me to simplify it? I'm probably complicating it like crazy, but if you want to simplify it, you just enjoy your reading. Read it, enjoy it, and have intimacy with Christ. That's the goal of our devotionals. It's not a matter of discipline. Discipline or duty is a crutch. We do that so that we could put ourselves in the pathway of God's grace. But discipline is not my goal. Desire is my goal. What do I mean by that? My goal is not to be, make my own Bible and like if I was a psalmist, I read your word five times this week. You know, I, I, I read 20 chapters and that's not the end. What does the psalmist says? I desire your word. I have this inner longing for your word. The discipline is not the goal. It's the means to get us to love the word of God and to love God and to love our neighbor. It is a discipline, and that's how we often frame it in our type of circle, and that's true, but I don't want it to simply be a discipline. I want it to be a desire of my heart, to be where the psalmist is, to want it and long for it and love it. It's hard. Bible reading is so hard. It's so hard for me. It's hard for you, but our goal is not to be disciplined. It's to love God more, to have passion. We underemphasize passion, emotion, feeling in our circle. It's not simply about thinking about it a certain way. It's about feeling about it a certain way. And then you do something. You become a doer of the word as we read it. That's the whole goal. That's the whole picture. That type of desire ultimately comes from this daily crying out to God that he would increase and maintain my love and longing from the word that every single day I'm praying, God, my heart's not there, but incline my heart to your testimonies. That's what I want. 
Not just like, I did it, I got my job done, I checked the box, I got my devotional done, time to move on, but my heart is ready. And when that happens, again, you're not going to get a snack from the Bible, you will feast. You will feast upon God's word. That's what it offers you. Because imagine, imagine on a Sunday, you, our job as preachers is to cook you this healthy meal, okay? Not just what you want to hear, okay? Not just all sugars and fats, but a healthy spiritual meal for you. And we're, I'm like trying to spoon feed you right now, right? We're spoon feeding you. That's our job as preachers is to prep God's word and to lay it before you to feast, but imagine you do that, and every Sunday you're feasting. You are, you are eat all you can eat, okay? You are just eating as much as you can of the best type of meal. That's what we want to do on a Sunday. But imagine along the way, Monday through Saturday, you are feeding yourself. You're internalizing it. You're feasting on it. You're loving God with all that you have. What difference would it make is if we are reading the Bible supernaturally Monday through Saturday, we're hearing the Bible supernaturally on Sunday, what difference would that make? It wouldn't make your life easier, but you will love God and others more. My supernatural goal, simple but humanly impossible, is if your Bible reading is dead, lethargic, passive, resistant, mechanical, or just non-existent, which all of us go through at times, maybe many times, is that this would be a wake-up call for us. And instead of that, we would have and grow in the direction of Psalm 119. Again, Psalm 19, I honestly, I'm like, who can say, like, I love, I long for your word, you know? Like, I'm not there yet, but we would grow in that direction where we would have a hunger, an eager, motivated Humble, aggressive, prayerful, expectant reading of God's word. I've, I've like tasted that just so briefly. It's sad, just so rarely. That's what I miss most about being a full-time pastor. People are like, do you miss being a pastor? I'm like, not really, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a part of me is like, do you miss uh, your old students? I was like, some of them, right? Some of them I really miss. Do I miss like planning retreats? Do I miss? I don't miss that, okay? I don't miss staying up all night and doing all these things, you know? And I'm like, thank God I don't have to plan a youth retreat, okay? All right, I just, I, I don't miss that stuff. But what I do miss, and it's harder now because I'm working, what I do miss is just that time where every once in a while I would experience the Bible in my personal reading in the way it was supposed to be read, and I would see God's glory. It was grueling. You have no, many time, no idea how many times as a pastor I was like, I just wanted to throw my hands in the air and throw my papers in the air. Like, I, I can't do it. And I would, it would be a grueling process of rigorous study, but every once in a while, I would come to a text, and I'd be like, I see it. I get it. I see why the psalmist loves his word. I want to be a Psalm 19, 119, and I bet you guys do too. How do you get there? It takes a miracle. A miracle we should pray about and I think that's a prayer that God would be very happy to answer. Let's pray. Oh God, we have a, we have a supernatural or, or a request that needs your supernatural help that we would never read the Bible in the same way again. We would never ever read it without prayer and desperation and humility. And when we do, God, that we would, we would cry out for mercy because we, uh, we fall short in that. But God, I pray for us here, all of us here, whether we've never known Christ or whether we've been a believer for years, that you would open up our eyes to see your beauty in your word. That you would give us a fervency, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
that the psalmist would be more relatable to us. Because God, we fully confess that we're not there. But we want to be there, God. And this is going to be a lifelong process, becoming humble students of your word. But would you start that process in us so that we can be desperate, humble readers of your word? Help us, God. May your spirit enable us to work hard, to make the effort to work out our salvation. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for the truths. Thank you for speaking to us and not being stingy about it. You gave us a whole library. Thank you for this precious, precious book. God, may we cherish it. May we love it. And may we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.